Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Impact of Influence, the Murdoch family murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. I'm Matt Harris, Seton Tucker here, of course, and we're always grateful that you decided to spend some time with us. You check out Impact of Influence on our Facebook page. Also, by the way, doing another podcast with Michael DeWitt called The Wicked South, and you can find that through wherever you get your favorite pods. Please rate the episode, share the episode, make sure you tell your friends, and uh, we'd much appreciate that. So, we've got a few things that are new about the Murdoch mess, and then we are also going to talk with an attorney in a little bit about some of the legal definitions, his theories on whether there or not there will be a a new trial, what would happen if there is a new trial, how that will all work out, what the order of things would be. Uh, it's a pretty cool interview. Hopefully you'll hang around for that. And uh, Seton, let's start with the the biggest issue out of all of it right now is whether Alec will have a new trial. And it's all based on this idea that there was jury tampering by the clerk of court, Becky Hill. Yes. So uh, we have mentioned in a previous episode that the defense has filed for a new trial And now we have received the state's response. And in their response, we have an affidavit from Clerk of Court Becky Hill. And in this, she says that she responds to these allegations. I did not tell the jury not to be fooled by evidence presented by Mr. Murdoch's attorneys. I did not instruct the jury to watch him closely. I did not instruct the jury to look at his actions. I did not instruct the jury to look at his movements. I did not say to the jury, this shouldn't take long. Then she says, when juror number 826 asked to speak with me, the conversation took place in the jury hall within earshot of bailiff Bill Polk, and the conversations did not involve the evidence, witnesses, or substance of the trial. And then she talks about an affidavit from Holly Miller uh, discussing conversations with juror number 741. And she said, I did not have private conversations with juror 826 in the bathroom. My conversations with juror 826 did not involve evidence, witnesses, or substance of the trial. During the trial, I did not tell members of the jury that the media would want to interview them at the end of the trial. During the trial, I did not hand out business cards of the media personnel. I did not tell the juror, y'all are going to hear things that will throw you off. And don't let this mislead you. Then she responds to allegations that in the affidavit of juror number 785. 
He says, I did not tell the jurors to be fooled by the evidence presented by Alec Murdoch's attorneys. Then she responds to allegations that were an affidavit by juror number 785 and a lot of the same things. Um, but she also says she did not tell juror 785 to forget about the guns, that they will never be seen again. She also says that I did not go in and ask for a raise of hands and that this would be done. And she did not tell juror number 785 that everyone needed to be on the same page. And says that she did not fabricate nor create any Facebook page related to juror number 785. And just to refresh our listeners' memories, juror 785 is the egg juror. Which was the Facebook page that allegedly popped up. Definitely wasn't the ex-husband. At one time, there was a rumor of that. And that was not why she, that, that she was dismissed. Not it because was, of the Facebook It was post. about... Uh, conversations she had with some tenants. Yes, yes. And so the Facebook page is really kind of a red herring in a way because it didn't, according to Judge Newman, did not play into her being dismissed from the jury. Right. And she, the the egg juror, we call her that because she had eggs she had to pick up as she was when she was kicked off the jury. The general thinking is that she was in maybe at least considered Alec Murdoch not to be guilty. And that's why it becomes even more controversial because if you have the one Murdoch person kicked off, then obviously Alex in a load of trouble. Well, in the state's response also, uh, it says that they interviewed jury coordinator William Polk, and he says he did not hear any interference with judge, clerk, or any other persons in an attempt to influence jurors. So they've interviewed William Polk, jury coordinator, and they say that he backs up her claims. Uh, there's also this table in yes. their motion, which was was kind of interesting. What was your takeaway? Well, they go through the different ones. Juror 193, she's, she's heard Clerk Hill just say, pay attention. The other concerns, and Juror 193 says, if anything, people were overly cautious. Uh, but Juror 255, uh, 254 said they heard Clerk Hill say, watch Murdoch's body language. Juror 326, no, nothing about Clerk Hill's remarks. Juror 530, nothing about Clerk uh, Hill's remarks. Uh, Juror 578 declined to discuss the case or deliberations. Just said, nope, not discussing it. Yeah. There was another juror who was not interviewed at the time of this filing. And, of course, in this chart, because she was dismissed, we don't hear what the egg jurors take was on any of these things. 589 said that their spouse was warned by her Putlian of a subpoena if they did not talk. 630 had been talked to. 729 what, heard no body language comments. Well, I guess the juror who, who was threatened to be subpoenaed by Harputlian maybe did not take kindly to Harputlian showing up at their doorstep. Right, well, 729 said that about the trial was uncomfortable when Harputlian waved a gun around. And juror 864 said it was Creighton Waters in, in court who told the jury to watch her body language, not Becky Hill. You know, I do think I remember Creighton Waters saying that. So, yeah. you know. That's possible. Maybe they got confused where it was. We, it still remains to be seen how this will all play out. But this is the first time, of course, we've heard from Becky Hill because she's not going to speak unless it's under some sort of legal thing. She's not going to go talking to a newspaper or something about this. So. This is the first time we hear from her and her total denials of every single one of the charges. Right. So she responded in the appropriate way by filing this affidavit and saying, all right, this is my take. 
not, you know, giving interviews and that sort of thing. Uh, what do you want to hit next here? Well, let's talk about Corey Fleming's sentence. ABC News 4, Drew Tripp, and Ann Emerson interviewed Charlie Condon, who's a former attorney general, mm-hmm. about what his take was on the possibility that Corey could get a new, a yeah. reduced sentence. So to, to remind you, he was... On September 14th, pled guilty to 23 fraud money laundering charges involving the um, Kim Pickney story and the um, uh, Gloria Satterfield story. And South Carolina Department of Corrections said his release would be the earliest in October of 2032, parole not until March of 2032. I think with the money laundering charges, he was required to serve 85% of his time. Right. So that would be eight and a half years. They are running his federal charges running concurrently with the state charges. He's going to have to spend at least a portion of the time if these charges stick uh, in state prison. And the federal sentence, basically, just to make it less confusing, only set to serve three years, three months. Well, not charges. I mean, the sentence. Sentencing, yes. So uh, he'll immediately transfer from federal to state after he does his federal first. That's the way it's going to be. So, yeah, so they appealed, saying that Judge Newman was too hard on him. Uh, despite the client's admission of guilt, he was excessive and unfair to Corey Fleming and that he was biased and they talked about a cruel and unusual punishment. And then so th- what you're talking about is the statement by uh, Charlie Condon, former South Carolina attorney general, who said that why didn't the Fleming's lawyers raise these objections during Fleming's sentencing hearing? Why they didn't file a, a motion for reconsideration, reconsideration with Judge Newman? Before taking their case to the appeals court, Fleming's sentence could have been higher. You know, could have been much higher. A lot higher. of people have put it put that out there, but then also there have been arguments that he received a much stiffer sentence than other lawyers who've done similar, similar things, things in South Carolina. Yeah, so Condon saying, well, I mean, I, I guess the argument with Condon would be, I would assume his Fleming's lawyers would say, well, we, we couldn't brazen it because we didn't know what it was going to be. Well, Condon seems to think it's unlikely that uh, Corey Fleming will yeah. receive a reduction in his sentence. I, I tend to think he's right. As far as we know, is for the legal, I, I can't imagine. I mean, imagine. I, we don't know. We're, no, we're not legal. But, but it just seems weird, though, right? That they would You can't go just back go, it seems times. like you can't go back and say, wait a second, I pled guilty and now I don't like this sentence, so give me less time. Yeah, yeah. So that is that. Uh, next up. People had to file their claims against Alec Murdoch's estate. And, you know, lots of victims we've heard about, you know, Satterfields and, you know, all of the victims of Ellick's financial crimes. But we also have claims that have been filed by PMPD, or now, what's, what are they called now? They have a new name now. because the Parker Law, Law Firm or something. And then also by Randy Murdoch. And there was a lot of public outcry about this. People were thought, you know, it was Copy. obviously hey, Capine Pinckney, you know, people who've been stolen money maybe... His brother and his law, his former law firm shouldn't get in line. I don't know what the right answer is, but there was a lot of public outcry. I guess it depends on where they are in the line too, right? Like maybe nothing will ever get to them. At the beginning, there was a lot of talk that Randy was attempting to kind of jump in front of other people because- yeah, I remember that little he, story. He quickly filed um, that his brother had owed him money. Right. But- and I think and reading his claim, I mean, he paid for some of the rehab and all these things, but- I, I just don't know- where all the money's going to come from anyway at this point. It seems like it's, it's dwindled a little bit. How much is there that, left? Right, right. Because they've paid. Is it even worth, is it worth getting in line? Yeah, I don't know. 
We'll, we'll, we'll dig into it at some point. Yep. Uh, ready for the, the guest? Yep. Joining us is John L. Warren III, an attorney with the law office of Bill Nettles. Previously, John clerked for judges in the Supreme Court of South Carolina, Federal District Court, and Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. John's practice now focuses on whistleblower litigation, criminal defense, capital litigation, and appellate litigation. John, welcome to the program. Good to be here. Thanks. Uh, well, John, we were talking last week. There's so much legal wrangling and terms that are going around that want to help our listeners understand. So let's kind of start off with what is a writ of prohibition and how often is this used? Sure. So generally a writ of prohibition is it's a means by which a court can prevent a lower court from doing something. So the South Carolina Constitution vest the Supreme Court with the authority to issue writs of prohibition. And essentially what that is, is it it's just an order from the Supreme Court telling a lower court or another government official not to do something. So rather than coming in and fixing an error after the fact, it allows the Supreme Court to stop something before it may become an error. So explain what the writ of prohibition what it means in this specific Murdoch case. Sure. So the writ of prohibition here is a request for the Supreme Court to prevent Judge Newman from presiding over any of the matters related to Murdoch, whether that's the motion for a new trial, the financial matters. They're asking the Supreme Court to prevent or stop Judge Newman from presiding over any of those matters. And the reason they did that is to what? To prevent um, a backup on, on on speeding, getting this case through quickly? So I think, and this is just a little bit of reading the, the tea leaves because only only his legal team knows why they, they took that approach. I think the most likely answer is it, it, typically when you ask to recuse a judge, which is not something that's altogether very common in general, but when you ask to recuse a judge, you first file a motion with that judge. What's a little bit unusual is in South Carolina, if they were to go ask Judge Newman, file a motion with Judge Newman, asking him to recuse himself, and he denied that motion, there would not be a way for them to appeal that ruling. So they would they would have to actually go through and litigate the motion for a new trial before being able to appeal the question of whether Judge Newman should recuse himself. Filing it as a writ of prohibition with the Supreme Court allows them to, to skip that and get it into an appellate court, where I suspect they think they have a better chance of prevailing without having to litigate the entire issue. Mm. Okay, so we have a lot of pending litigation. We have this writ of prohibition that we just discussed. We also have the defense announcing their intentions to file an appeal with the Supreme Court. Now, this has been stayed until they sort out these jury tampering allegations. There is a motion for a new trial. There's also the talk about this evidentiary hearing to take place about the jury tampering. And we have financial crime hearings with Alec Murdoch scheduled for the week after Thanksgiving. What's the order? How will this all proceed? Yeah, you know, I think that's unclear. Um, I think that you know the common denominator to 
pretty much all of those is Judge Newman. And so I think that first, the question of which judge is going to preside over those those matters is going to have to be decided. The Supreme Court could decide it. They could rule on the petition for writ of prohibition. They could also decline to to make a decision and send it back, in which case I suspect um, Dick and Jim would then ask Judge Newman to recuse himself. I, I, as a practical matter, I think it would be very hard for any of the really any of the matters, whether it's the motion for a new trial, evidentiary hearing or the financial crimes. It's going to be really difficult for those to go forward with pending litigation about whether the currently presiding judge should still preside over those matters. So I think one way or the other, we'll get some sort of decision on the recusal request. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you've been involved with the law in South Carolina for a long time. Have you seen this situation before where a judge was asked to step down and people went to the Supreme Court to ask him to make that decision? I have not personally seen that. Yeah. Um, so it's re- pretty the, rare, obviously. It, it is. I mean, writs of prohibition in general are, are very rare. South Carolina Constitution allows people to seek those from the Supreme Court. The writ of prohibition is called um, an extraordinary writ, and it's called that because it's it's an extraordinary remedy that the Supreme Court doesn't issue often. And really, the last p- petition for writ of prohibition that was issued, at least as far as I know, was when the Supreme Court issued a writ of prohibition on the Gerard Price matter. And that was actually a writ of prohibition that was filed by the attorney general's office. That was the case where um, Gerard Price was released early from prison by Judge Manning. Attorney general's office filed a petition and the Supreme Court actually granted that relief. So until until recently with that case, it's been quite a while since a writ of prohibition has been granted. That's pretty interesting because that happened just, I guess, Jared Price was, what, two months ago when that when that all went down? So that this has happened twice in a very short period of time is pretty interesting. And it was the other side, right? So that it was the state yes. that filed the writ in that case, right? That That's right. And it's not infrequent for there to be attempts for a writ of prohibition to be issued by the court. It just typically doesn't happen. Um so I think there it, it is um, 
back in September, the, the court did issue the writ that the attorney general's office requested. So I, I think in, in, in kind of an odd way, the attorney general's office in seeking the writ in that case has kind of revived the writ of prohibition oh, in right. South Carolina. It's fresh on their minds, right? Yeah. Okay, so we have this these financial crime hearing that's supposed to take place after Thanksgiving, but we also forgot to mention that we have these federal court, uh, Alec Murdoch has pled guilty, and we're waiting for sentencing on that. And so Dick Carpootlian has said they want to, you know, they want to delay this financial crime hearing. So there's always that question of whether they want him to get sentenced federally first before, you know, before, because if you get convicted in state court, you go, you know, you get sentenced right away. But in federal court, there's some time between getting convicted or pleading guilty and getting sentenced. And so, you know, there's always the question of whether... This is an attempt for Alec Murdoch to try to get to federal prison. So you're exactly right that there is a, a, a gap in, in federal court. The United States Probation Office prepares a report. The parties have a chance to object to it. And um, it, it's not uncommon for a sentencing to happen three to five months after a guilty plea. In, in terms of where he will go to prison, um when you've got parallel state and federal proceedings, it, it's 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 a complicated issue of where someone will actually serve their time. Generally, the rule is that the the state or the federal government, so the sovereign that has primary custody over a defendant. that defendant will go to that prison. So with all of this pending and Murdoch having a pending bunch of pending financial charges and a a murder conviction and sentence, even if he were to get, if he were to get sentenced on federal charges tomorrow, that that's not going to change the fact that he would go to the department of corrections. So he's still going to stay in state prison. He's still going to stay in state prison. In my opinion, I think the the only way that that would change is if, for example, he were to be granted a new trial on the murder charges and the court set a bond that he was able to make. So if he were to get released on bond on the state charges and then be sentenced on the federal charges, then he would likely go to the Federal Bureau of Prisons. A lot of chess pieces have to fall into place for that. Plus, the odds of him getting bonded got to be pretty slim. Initially, when he was, there were only, uh, before the murder charges, and what was the bond set at? I can't remember what it was. It would mean it was, it was, we couldn't make it. It He could could not make it then. Yeah. That's right. It was several, several million dollars. And I I think, and the, the other, the other issue too is, in federal courts, I think that his sentence is likely to be – I don't know what his guideline range will come in, but it's, it'll be high, but it's not going to be the rest of his life. Now, if hmm. Alec Murdoch does happen to be granted a new trial for the murder charges, where will that trial happen? Will they will be back in Colleton County? It's a good, it's a good question. Um it, it really depends. So 
the defendant Murdoch could file a motion to change venue. The Supreme Court, in in ruling on this writ of prohibition, could assign the matter to a judge outside of Colleton County. The the statutes on where sacred injury cases are tried are kind of complex, but it's really it's really up in the air. Um, there will be if there's a motion for a new trial granted. I feel quite certain there will be litigation on on that that question of where the trial will be held. So basically, everything starts from scratch. Nothing remains. So it's just the, the the new trial means a new trial. Nothing is in is out of play. So they just start from scratch, where they decide change of venue or not. They do the juries. They just everything as if the other thing never happened. Yes and no. So in in terms of the actual trial, yes, they would start over from scratch. There would be a new. Um, it would be a new jury picked. There would be a, a new trial. What complicates it, and um, I, there's not really a clear answer to, is Alec Murdoch testified in his first trial. Depending on how a new trial played out, there could be situations where that testimony from the first trial could be introduced, likely oh. by the state, wow. in the second trial. What about the financial crimes? I mean, so the financial crimes were admitted in the first trial because they said that Jim Griffin opened the door and some of his questioning of a witness. Uh, would that necessarily be included or automatically it's it starts over? I think that that, again, it depends. So a new ju- if, assuming there's a new judge, um, that judge could have a different view of what evidence comes in. And in other words, what, what kind of evidence about the financial crimes comes in in the murder trial. That said, obviously, Alec Murdoch's testimony focused in, in large part on the financial crimes. I think there's, again, going to be a litigation on that issue. I, I would say if there's a new trial granted, the that's going to be one of the most hotly contested Issues because the state is going to say that um, Murdoch provided lengthy testimony about this financial crime evidence, and the the defense lawyers are going to say that the reason he did that is because the judge allowed the state to introduce that evidence. So it's it's a very unclear question. It could get very complicated. Yeah, it's a chicken egg kind of thing. He had to do it because you did that, but you shouldn't have done that. And so yeah, that that whole right. setup will be. Very interesting. So if there was a new trial, uh, are they allowed to change witness list? Are they allowed to present a whole different, I mean, granted, I I know motive isn't, you don't need motive, but could they change their, their technique or their, their whys and hows and everything? Sure. Absolutely. Sometimes you get, I would say the most common scenario where a, a new trial is, is had is when there's a uh, hung jury in a case. So say the state of the federal government um, tries a defendant for a crime, jury can't reach a unanimous verdict, and the state of the federal government has a second trial. So in, in, in that case, it's not at all uncommon for the state or the federal government to um, piece together new evidence, to come up with new witnesses, that that's not at all uncommon. I mean, both both parties, both the defense and the state, will spend a long time 
reading the transcripts in the first trial, trying to figure out what they may have done wrong, trying to figure out what the other side may have done wrong. And trying a case the second time is, is, is a difficult, difficult endeavor because everybody has an opportunity to really reflect and adapt. It's a redo for both. It's a redo for both sides can see what they thought worked and what they thought did not work. So is discovery all new too? That's right. Is discovery all new? Like what? So in terms of the process of discovery, I don't think that, that everyone would have to start from scratch in terms of reproducing discovery that has already been produced. Okay. That said, the state and, and, to an extent, the defendant, but really the state has an ongoing duty to produce discovery, um, particularly certain types of discovery that go to the defendant's guilt or innocence. So if there is new evidence or new new witness testimony or interviews by law enforcement that come up between the first trial and the second trial, that that would certainly have to be produced by the state. So, okay. Can I dig? A, I want to dig a little deep into the woods for a sec, or into the into the weeds or the woods. Um, you probably let me just lay it out there, and we'll see if we can answer it or not. So, one of the things that came up was that it was presented to the grand jury in a certain way about this evidence of bloody uh, shirt, the, the bloody spatter shirt spatter or whatever on the shirt. The defense argued that that should never even have gone to the, the grand jury. Grand jury. But that ship has sailed, right? So, I mean, we can't go back and go, we're starting with grand jury level, right? I mean, you can't start there, or can you? Again, it's it's kind of a a little bit of uncharted water. So the state can generally always go back to to the grand jury um, when when a case is is pending. So let's say someone's been indicted, the state can go back and get what we call a, a superseding indictment. Yeah, I think that the evidentiary issues related to things like the, the bloody shirt can be relitigated in the second trial. I mean, everything, everything's kind of fair game, okay. but I, I don't think that it, everyone's going to have to go back to, you know, back to square one in terms of, uh, I mean, obviously what's happened has happened in the investigation. You're not going to reindict him. You're not going to have to do the reindictment. I I think that would be unlikely. What would be interesting is if, again, this is just all guessing on all of our parts. You know, if there was a new trial, you could get a new trial based on these jury tampering allegations or a new trial, trial based on potentially the entering of the financial crimes so there on appeal. So there could be different, oh, that's a motion for new trial. The other yes. one would be an appeal. So I guess I'm still just curious about these financial crimes, like what's, what's going to happen with them? Because that seems to be, to me, the most hotly contested thing. On the appeal process. Yeah, I, I, think, yeah. That's, yeah. I, I think that's right. And I think that whatever judge is assigned, whether it's Judge Newman or another judge, particularly if it's an, another judge, is whether knowingly or just kind of un, un, unknowingly, I think the the weight of the appellate issues about the financial crimes may affect their decision on whether to grant a new trial. If you, if you oh, have wow. a new judge come in, you know, it's evaluating this motion for a new trial – and it's a close call. 
that that judge may um, take into consideration the likelihood or the possibility of an appeal being granted. Because if the motion for a new trial is denied, then the case goes back to the South Carolina Court of Appeals. Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court, if they took the case, could also grant a new trial just on evidentiary grounds. Hmm. So, you know, a new trial really does kind of reset the clock on all of those appellate issues that Uh, are currently stayed in the South Carolina Court of Appeals. Will the whole country, from a legal perspective, be watching this? Based on my experiences in, in the first trial, I think... I think it's it's very I think it's very likely, and that was one of the only times in my life where you could travel um, to New England or Denver and get into an Uber, and the Uber driver know more about what's going on <laughs> in a South Carolina trial than I did. And there's a lot of lawyers lawyering, so uh, it's case law. A lot here. of armchair lawyers. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you joining us. You really broke it down perfectly for us. So we'll have you back at some point. I'd love to. And we appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Before we wrap, we want to give you an update on the Shanquella Robinson case. We call it season two when you scroll through. Um, about, well, a little while ago was her one-year anniversary and we ran a piece from Tanya Rivens. Uh, so we want to give you the latest update on how that case is proceeding. Joe Bruno with WSOC9 in Charlotte has been following this case since the beginning, and he tweeted or X'd, the FBI has denied my FOIA request for Shanquilla Robinson's investigative document saying there is a pending or prospective law enforcement proceeding relevant to the responsive records, and the release of the information could reasonably be expected to interfere with enforcement proceedings. Uh, He goes on to say the Robinson family also received a similar letter. Their attorney tells me this is very frustrating because there are mixed signals over whether this case is still open. So the FBI denied the FOIA, which is what you should tell what that is, Freedom of Information Act. So Bruno had asked for some information because the media is allowed to, or anybody actually that wants information. And you were attempting to get that information too. And I think filing a FOIA with the FBI was... Difficult. Difficult. They made you jump through a bunch of hoops. So uh, according to the FBI, by denying this, they say there's a pending uh, investigation going on. So to me, we shall see. I'm encouraged That's good. By that should that. be good news. Yes. Uh, one quick comment. Yeah, we got a lot of people were happy to hear Snyder back on last week. It was kind of controversial with the Judge Newman stuff going on. Um, but Catherine Lip says, great episode. John Snyder uh What's Newman's title quip was the best part? Because, uh, you know, John Snyder said, judge. Yeah. So I love this guy's ability to deliver some humor while still giving realistic legal perspectives. Yep. Oh, and I also want to give a shout out to my alma mater, Walford College. I was there last weekend and ran into a lot of people who listened to our podcast. Fantastic. Also want to give a shout out to our new partners, Evergreen Podcast. Uh, if you want to sponsor the show, Free to reach out to Evergreen. You can always reach out to us on Impact of Influence on Facebook. And we're always, always so grateful and we love the feedback. So keep it coming and we'll talk soon, friend. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned. 
just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Ohio Mysteries.com